Hey friends, and welcome to episode 133 of It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. I'm your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick. And do you remember the story of the little red hen? You know, the children's book where the little red hen wants to bake some bread, but she needs help. So she reaches out to all of her neighbors and all of her friends, but they're all too busy. So the little red hen just bakes the bread herself. Sound familiar? Today's guest, Julie Gerties Becknell, sure thought so. She realized that so many people are just like the little red hen by trying to do everything themselves, and as a result, feel overstressed, overworked, and sometimes even underpaid. Julie also recognized that our unique personalities can impact how we lead, how we spend our time, how we show up, and even how we ask for help. Julie and I share a love for personality assessments from the Myers-Briggs to the Enneagram, and it's so cool to see how knowing yourself can help you in so many ways. But before we dive into the conversation, let me introduce you to Julie Gerties Becknell. Julie is a certified Myers-Briggs, we call it the MBTI, Myers-Briggs facilitator and researcher who has worked in the nonprofit communications field for nearly 20 years. Most recently, she led the marketing team at National Geographic Society, where she oversaw audience strategy. She holds a bachelor's degree from Louisiana State University and a master's degree in strategic communication from American University. Her award-winning master's thesis studied how temperament impacts the efficacy of philanthropic messaging. Julie is the founder of Little Rouge Hen LLC, where she leverages her lifelong passions for communication and personality theory to help individuals and organizations set and reach their goals. In addition to being an entrepreneur, Julie is a wife, mom to two human kids, and one pup. She can be found playing with her kids, volunteering, hiking, running, writing, or chatting about personality types. In today's conversation with Julie, she shares the fable of the chicken and the egg and how it applies to your work. She talks about why you need to know yourself well first. She shares some ideas about how to delegate to make more space for creativity And then we dive deep into the four pillars of the Myers-Briggs and what they mean for your personality. As usual, you know you can find all the details for this episode over in the show notes at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 133, including links to Clifton Strengths, the Enneagram Certification Program, Julie mentions, and lots of other fun personality resources. And with that... It's about time we get started, so let's get this show on the road. You're listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Around here, we believe that busy is not a badge of honor. Your host, Anna Dearman Cornick, is here to share tips and strategies to help you make the most of your time. Listen in on real conversations and success stories to find out how other go-getters are getting things done. If you're ready to step away from the overwhelm and spend your time on what matters most, then you're in the right place. Here's your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick. Hey, Julie, and welcome to It's About Time. I am so excited to have this conversation today. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have the conversation as well, Anna. Thanks for having me on It's About Time. Of course. You know, it's so funny because um, before I hit record, Julie and I almost got completely lost in a conversation uh, because we just like chit chat is so easy for us. And I just I'm really looking forward to what's about to happen. Um, And so I I gave everybody the full uh, Julie official bio during the intro. But I always love to hear in your own words, how do you spend your time these days? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've been really trying to pay attention to that. I'd say this week, at least, it definitely was uh, more in the balance of the mom side of things. I'm a wife and mom of two kids. One's four and a half and one's 10 months and also dog mom to Louie. And so it was one of those weeks where I felt like uh, the pendulum had swung very much into that space. I had both kids were sick and my poor dog, who's a senior dog, hurt his back. So lots of caretaking this week. Um, I'm also in a really fun startup phase of my new business of Little Rouge Hen. And so a lot of work in that space this week, meeting with new clients and just talking to people about potential problems we can solve together. So that's been the balance lately. Um, So juggling both starting a business and having young kids, which I know you know all too well. Oh, it is. It is quite a juggle. Lots of plates and balls and all the crazy things in the air at any given moment. So you mentioned that you're in the startup phase for a new business, Little Rouge Hen. Tell me more. The name is so fun. What exactly do you do? What is this business? Yeah. Okay. So Little Rouge Hen, I have to give the backstory in the name because people are often like, what? what's going on there? Um, I based it on the fable of the Little Red Hen. So this should resonate with anybody who's conscientious about time and especially <laughs> with moms out there. Um, the Little Red Hen in the story uh, wants to bake some bread. And she goes around asking all the other barnyard animals to help pitch in, you know, who will help me cut the wheat? Who will help me, you know, actually bake the bread? And everyone's too busy or just doesn't want to. And she ends up doing the whole thing herself. And I've spent the last, you know, 15 plus years in the nonprofit sector, particularly in marketing and communications, a little bit of talent development work as well. And I found that this is a problem that plagues small nonprofits, small businesses all the time, where you've got one person trying to do it all and you don't really know how or where to find the resources. So Little Rouge Hen, the concept for business, came from really helping build capacity within these nonprofit small businesses to actually work with their teams, um, to look at the existing talents that is already there, to recruit, um, to really help build capacity of the team through workshops, training, and, and also longer term engagements to really dig in on strategic vision and team building. So I'm really enjoying the work. It's I'm getting to do some of my favorite things, working still in marketing communication strategy, but also really helping develop and build teams. So yeah, strategic council for busy teams. <laughs> That's my focus. When you tell the story of the little red hen, it really makes me want to give her a hug because I feel too. like <laughs> I feel like I know exactly what that feels like when, okay, let's bake some bread. Who's going to do this? Who's going to do this? Oh my gosh. And then you just end up doing it all yourself and staying up super late and stressing yourself out. And oh, exactly. but, it, but it's all it's all things that got to be done, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping to be both a utility player for some of the teams I'm working with, strategic council. It's been really fun to work with all the way from kind of associates who are just starting out and bring in experts to do training. It's been really fun to tap people from all different points in my career and bring those resources to the table through trainings to 
people who are starting out in their career or maybe haven't had access to those types of resources. Just yesterday, I had a woman who used to run social for National Geographic, uh, working with a small nonprofit doing a hour-long paid social media 101 session with mm -hmm. a marketing associate who is just starting out in her career. So being able to facilitate those types of connections has been really oh. amazing. And it's all part of a longer engagement where I'm working with them to identify the areas where um, their team could really be built out. So yeah, I've been really enjoying trying to keep people from being in that little redhead situation um, and really see what resources I can help them bring in to really build that capacity. Very cool. So, okay, tell me a little bit more about the businesses or nonprofits that you serve, because a lot of our listeners are business owners and a lot work in more of the, I call it nine to five roles, the full-time roles where they are working on a marketing team or they are working in nonprofit development, or maybe they're a realtor who works with a broker. So they're part of a team in that way. So get, paint a picture for me of the types of organizations that you work with? Yeah, no, so far it's been really interesting to see just, I guess, the different places I've been asked to potentially do work both in the private and nonprofit sector. Honestly, I originally kind of launched thinking, you know, my background's primarily in nonprofit, thinking, knowing and being familiar with the challenges in the marketing communications and like fundraising space for those and um, wanting to come in and pinch hit as it will and like help mm -hmm. and actually build strategy in some instances, um, but also help build teams. I had the the privilege and opportunity. I was at National Geographic for eight and a half years. And during that time, I was able to help rebuild the marketing department and um, led that team for a while. And one of the things that I, I found in that was it was really applicable. I could see how some of the skills that I was building in that space, since I was actually managing product lines and that would actually translate into that for-profit sector because I worked on the nonprofit side. So I've had um, the opportunity since launching my own business to work with organizations on that um, for-profit side, kind of in the education space that are creating mm -hmm. educational product, um, as well as nonprofits that are cultural institutions in the performing arts space. Uh, really, it's kind of been across the board. And where I'm coming in is um, taking a look at the team that's already there, helping pay attention to what skill sets and what are in place and where the gaps are, and then actually working with them to formulate strategy. One of my clients right now, they've just gone through a strategic planning process and they're in that step of, okay, well, how do we actually hit these audacious goals we've set for mm -hmm. ourselves? Mm -hmm. um, so actually working with them to hire and recruit talent and also build the capacity of the existing talent while also working hand in hand with them on their branding, marketing, communication strategy. Wow. So, so kind of being the hen, but I'm not doing it alone. We'll get into this in a little bit. Big fan of personality assessments. One of them, Strengths Finder. My top strength is individualization, which is knowing what other people are good at. And my number two is strategic. So I've been able to really wet those in this work and um, specifically help people figure out who is already in the mix and who's good at it. And then also bring in experts who I know are good in the areas where they need to build capacity and have that experience. So I'm kind of getting to use that talent both in looking at the teams I'm working with and then also in bringing in the right experts to either provide training or supplementary services. Okay, so your genius zone is putting the right people in the right seats and then cultivating those people, their talents and strengths in order to create a more cohesive team that's like running at full throttle in the direction of accomplishing the goals that the company or the team or the organization has set for themselves. 
Yes. I need you as like a spokesperson. You just send them up <laughs> much better. Yeah, I mean that, and then kind of all tying it back to like the strategy. Like I love big meaty goals. And so what are their big goals and how do we get the right people in place to, to accomplish that? I've described it before as a chicken and egg problem. Um, so pun intended. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of, you know, you need, in order to get that great vision, those big ideas, that big strategy, you need great talent. But if you don't have that great talent, you don't have those big ideas. And mm -hmm. so you are in this situation where you need to recruit the people in to help you get to that vision and make it better. And so through Little Rouge Han, we're trying to do just that. Ensure that you have the right people to get to that great strategy and great vision mm -hmm. um, and have those things work together. So you're coming in and you are making an impact in these businesses and organizations in a big way. But you're also mom to two little ones at ages that are very much a handful. You know, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and there's no way to beat around the bush. They are very demanding. I mean, they're both, like, Millie is just now starting to be a little bit more independent. But I mean, she's also still learning how to not put on her panties backwards you know like we're <laughs> we're still there um which you know you really take that kind of thing for granted we put on our underwear without even thinking and she's like trying like really putting effort into it and so you've got little ones that you're taking care of and you're building this business and you're helping others reach their big hairy audacious goals um how exactly how are you making all this work how are you doing this <laughs> Well, on the days it works. No. Um, so no, I appreciate that question. Cause that's, that's the thing. I always really want to be authentic and show people kind of, I don't really want to show, but you want to show the mess, right? Yeah. Uh, a little bit and get into it. So I appreciate that question a lot. Well, I'd say number one, honestly, is support system. Right now, both my parents are here. I'm so appreciative of it to watch the baby who's home. She hasn't started at daycare yet. She has her seat that hasn't started. Oh, and so she's, so she's not feeling great today. So having them both oh. here is like a big help. Husband, really supportive, you know, helping me. We say he's my chief technology officer, just kind of helping me <laughs> as I have, um, as I've started my own business and don't have um, that IT support. And so I think I, I recognize the privilege in having those resources. And I think it's really important to call out those things. And additionally, the kind of non-built-in um, support system and family, I think just really outsourcing and recognizing the privilege in that, but having babysitters. I work with a coach to kind of keep me on track to my goals. Mm -hmm. um, I recently completed a course of PT after giving birth to my daughter and really relied on that to kind of get my body back in shape. And then on the mind side, I have a counselor that I meet with every two weeks. I think it's really important to kind of have that space carved out to make sure I'm okay. Cause that's, I think a lot of us as moms are CEOs of our household, right? And mm -hmm. if we also are running a business, we can kind of multiple um, C-suite jobs, some pay better than others. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I think, you know, bringing in those resources, it is something that I'm grateful that I'm able to do, but it's, it's really critical, especially now, like I have a house cleaner come in and I have a recently mobile crawling baby and she is still finding everything she can possibly eat and try to choke on <laughs> in the house. So and if it were up to me, it would be much worse, like with my cleaning skills. So yeah, really like having that support system built in is a big, is a big part of how I'm able to balance it. Um, and I try to avoid that word balance even, but how I'm even able to kind of get through the day. 
another thing that really speaks to me, and I'm excited to talk to you more about the personality side, but knowing myself, um, what's worked well for me is a values-based approach mm. um, and really being super intentional, intentional, wow, super yes. intentional, intentional. <laughs> um, super intentional about, uh, about what my values are and what our family values are. And so um, we did an exercise a few years ago. There was a book I read called The Happiness Trap. And I wish I could remember the author right now, but I will make sure to get you that. Um, and it there was a values worksheet in it where you worked through what your personal values are with the acknowledgement that at different phases of life, different things were going to take priority. So right now, parenting, that's really important, right? And cultivating and working with these kids as they're in this phase where they're going to need you the most. Whereas another point, you know, career might take more of the shift. So uh, my husband and I did an exercise and we sat down and we said, okay, individually, these are the things that are important to us and what we value, but what are the things when we come together with this list that we want to really instill in the kids? And I'm a big color coder. I nerd out on color coding things. So we actually, my mom's a really talented artist. She drew us this big tree and I ordered these leaves off offline. And the idea was that we color coded each of these values and had these leaves that, you know, match the color. So an example, like we both really love being out in nature and like healthful living. And so that was our green leaves. Service and community and giving back is really important. Those were our yellow leaves. Um, relationships, close family, friends, staying in touch. And those were our red leaves. Joy to V, adventure in day-to-day life, just doing things that are a little adventurous and fun on a daily basis and creative. Um, those are our orange leaves. And then having a career with impact and really working intentionally. And those were our brown leaves. And it became an an activity to do at dinner time where we'd actually sit down. My son was two when we started this and just say, what did you do today? That's like living these values. And I didn't want it to become a checklist. If you had to do all the things and get every leaf and star, cause my personality can do that sometimes. Um, I wanted it to really be like a conversation where we said, Oh, we helped pick up litter today. That's a yellow leaf. And so it became a conversation uh, where we could talk to my two-year-old and say, Hey, let's put a yellow leaf on. And they were sticky. And so my husband loves woodworking. And so he's in the process. He's going to make us like a wooden version of this. That's something that's more evergreen. And it was a way to just talk about how we were spending our time and make sure it really aligned with those values and was intentional. Wow. One of the most common questions that I get from people who have taken the time to define their core values, they've recognized how important their vision is and how important their values are. And that's something that we talk a lot about inside the It's About Time Academy is the importance of starting with vision and values. And the question is, how do I live my values every day? How do I remember them? How do I keep them front and center and make sure that they're more than just words on a page? And I absolutely love the way that you have taken your family's core values from being words on a page into something that is tangible, it's tactical, and you have this visual reminder and this really sweet family activity that involves your kids uh, so that you all are aligned and living those values. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, 
if you're willing, I would love to share a photo of that in the show notes so that everyone can get a visual of this awesome tree that you're describing. So if you're yeah. up for that, I will include it. Yeah, I'm excited to share the picture actually because it's nothing fancy. You know, my mom drew it on some brown butcher paper we had for my son to color on. I mean, granted, I could not draw a tree that looks like that. It's very pretty. Um, yeah, it was just something to get started on. And so I'm excited to do the wooden one because I like it feeling like maybe an heirloom mm -hmm. or something that the kids yeah. can have. But but um, it's really worked well just being this. And honestly, that was exactly what my struggle was, was how do I translate this? And, and the other exercise I do with the values is, you know, I still have my personal list, which is probably mm -hmm. a little long. It's like a dozen or so things. And every year for New Year's, I stop doing New Year's resolutions. I take a look at that list and I say, what are the values? What are the things I want to lean into and build goals around this year? Yes. yes. And so this year I was like, I'm going to have a new baby. Um, I'm starting a new business that's going to allow me more flexibility and freedom. And, you know, what does that look like for me? And so this year I chose wellness, freedom, and family. It's kind of mm. almost like words of the year, values of the year. Yeah. And I've been really intentionally kind of looking at how do my monthly goals like scaffold to like aligning with the values that I said at the beginning of the year. And normally I do quarterly, but my year has been a bit strange with like childcare and different things. So I went with monthly because that's really as far as I could plan this year. So mm -hmm. I, I love that. And you just made an amazing point. You went with monthly because that's what you could do this year. That's what works for you in this season. And yeah. you are customizing it based on your life instead of trying to fit it into this cookie cutter mold. Yep. That was a process though. I needed to see was my coach who I think was like, you know, maybe quarterly is not working for you. Maybe you need to look at monthly. So sometimes having a sounding board to like tell you that kind of um, information, like, you know, helps break yeah. the log jam of this isn't working. And it used to work for me before kids, yeah. or this isn't working this year. Yeah. And I think I attribute the values tree really to when my husband and I were making the decision, you know, we've been in DC for 12 years. It was a way for us to think about, it gave us some freedom and being able to move because I think there were things that I associated with DC, but they were really inherent and intrinsic to us. So for mm -hmm. example, we didn't have a lot of our close family and like old long-term friends in that area, but we were really, really intentional about FaceTiming while we were there and keeping those connections strong. We FaceTimed grandparents every night during bath, like one of the grandparents. Oh yeah. So, bath time is a great time to FaceTime with grandparents. That's our routine too. No oh, joke. Yeah. And so that was the way that we did that. Um, and there were some things that were easier there. Like it was really easy to have a lot of access to nature and kind of fulfill that like bucket that for us. But when we made the move to Louisiana, we knew maybe there wasn't going to be the hiking access that we had, but we'd be closer to family. So it was kind of a way for us to say, hey, these things are going to come with us no matter where we are. And there's going to be yes. trade-offs, but we know we're going to make the effort because we're thinking about them all the time. So I think, um, I think that's one of my main ways. I know for me that when I kind of am anchoring to a big picture, that's really helpful for my personality. I think another thing that has been a really useful tool for me is buckets. So um, I live by my calendar. That is my number one planning tool. My husband and I have a shared one. I even put things like, you know, change the smoke detector batteries. Like we have like life tasks on a calendar. We have when we're traveling. It's, you know, I think when we first met Anna, we were talking about how calendar invites are a love language. Yes. <laughs> so that way by just putting everything on the calendar. But one of the things I noticed is that I can really fill my calendar up really quickly and mm -hmm. squeeze out all of that white space. And it's very important for me when I'm trying to do work that's creative to leave that time and not squeeze it all out. So one of the activities that I did recently was 
really try to drill down to like, what are the four buckets where my time needs to be spent? Those kind of, you know, I've heard the big rocks example before, like, what are the big things? And Mm -hmm. for me, like family, obviously right now, that's the obligation type stuff of getting a, you know, a doctor's note to get the kid back to school signed and the little tasks and the grocery shopping, but it's also the the cuddles and the, the time with my kids. The other big bucket for me right now is career and launching Little Rouge Hen and working with my clients and like really building space for that. And also not just doing the client work, but having space to create content and come up with the ideas and the new things I want to do and innovate. And the other bucket is really community and volunteering and relationships, like remembering to send my friend a card on their birthday, you know, or check in with people is really important to me. And then my fourth bucket is self. And it was hard for me to identify this, but you know, that's the, that's exercising. That's, I love to write fiction and to read and to go hiking. Like all of those things um, are kind of in that one. And so I sat down and actually looked at how many hours there were in the day, how much time I actually had to do this. And I realized there was a lot less time than I thought there was, you know, to take care of all of these things. And at first I thought, you know, maybe I'll go at this by looking at, you know, I have X number of hours for family. And what I realized is like, that's not going to work at this stage of my life. But what does work is now that I'm aware of these buckets and I'm thinking about them, I can look back at my day or my week and say, wow, this week felt really good. What was the distribution? And it's almost like a check on the backside to know that I spent my time well. And then the weeks where I'm feeling really stressed, maybe I volunteered for two days of volunteering and it pushed my work and family stuff all over the place. And I don't really have those many hours to volunteer right now, you know? And so... I think for me, it's been a really good way to pay attention to where my time is going and when I feel the best and when I feel like I've not stretched myself too far and left space for um, the things that need that space to get to them. I, it's, I like to say that work-life balance is a feeling, not a formula. And I think one of one of the most common hangups about work-life balance is that people get really locked into how do I achieve work-life balance? And you can't. You have to know what it feels like for you and be aware of when you are feeling that feeling that you want to have. And thank you so much for sharing how you you use your family's values, how you have a support system. Uh, your support system reminds me of what Ashley Joy mentioned back in episode 94 about how it takes a village. And she talked about the five members of, of a support system that everyone needs, which is a friend, an advocate, a mentor, a coach, and a therapist. And so making sure that you have all of these people in your kitchen cabinet and, you know, you've really made an effort to do that. And I always love hearing when people are working with coaches because working with a coach to uh, cultivate your professional development, your career development, uh, just whatever it is that you are looking for coaching on, whether it's, you know, time management, career, life, et cetera. It, that is what that is really what levels you up because it gives you that external perspective. You're asked those powerful questions. And I do. I love hearing that because sometimes people don't want you to know that you have that they have a support system backing them up. They people, so many people want you to believe that it's all them. And that's just not realistic. And I wish more people would be open about the support teams that they have because that's what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, that's what I I mean, teams are like, that's really my, people are my passion. Teams are my passion. And really just kind of recognizing 
how much stronger you are with like the right people in place. I mean, it's literally like my <laughs> core business philosophy and just, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, no, I, I definitely have seen that, but I think it, I hope, hopefully anyone listening, like it encourages them if they have those resources available to them. And mm-hmm. honestly, um, one of the tips that I heard, and I happen to be working with a woman who's getting her master's in coaching. And so it's actually very affordable. And she even offered free sessions because it's to get credit hours. So a lot of times yeah. there's that resource available through a university of somebody who's seeking that out. So, you know, for people who maybe couldn't afford it otherwise, because um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, when I first heard of it, I was like, oh, that sounds like something that, you know, maybe only certain people, you know, would people get to have coaches. Yeah. But it's really, um, there are opportunities for people who are kind of in training to do that, who might have pro bono hours or like discounted rates. And so it's also been a really great learning tool for me because I've kind of considered myself a coach for teams in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways with my work right now. So, um, I think it's given me some tools in my toolkit too, um, not just personally and for professional development, but actually to use in in my business as well. Mm So you just mentioned tools in your toolkit, which I want to dive into that. So far during our conversation, you mentioned that two that two of your top five strengths are individualization and strategic. And that's from Strengths Finder, or which I believe is now called Clifton Strengths, right? Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. And We also have in common that we are both Myers-Briggs certified practitioners, and I believe you also recently became certified in the Enneagram. Is that right? I'm in process. You're you're in process. I'm in process. Yeah, I'm in process. I'm taking coursework with the Narrative Enneagram, which has been amazing. Um, I'm not done yet. It was one of those resist the urge to just power through and take all the things I'm spreading it out over the course of the year. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's a commitment, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yes. And I mm-hmm. am certified in Myers-Briggs. I was certified um, as a facilitator in 2010. So, okay. You yeah. got several years of experience. Yeah. I think, I think I, I got my certification in 2017, I think, but I, many, many of the listeners know that I like to use Myers-Briggs with my one-on-one time management coaching clients in order to dive into their personality preferences uh, and almost get a, a shortcut, the, the, the fast lane to what time management productivity strategies are going to work best for them based on their personalities. Yeah. I Uh, I also, uh, just based on my knowledge of the Enneagram and my knowledge of strength finders, I'm not certified for either, but I do have done, you know, some deep dive time with those. I'm able to to use those in in some ways as well. But here's here's what I would love to, to hear from you is, can you tell me a little bit about these personality assessments and how they can be just helpful for zeroing in or narrowing down um, how we should spend our time? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. Okay. So I'm a big believer in knowing yourself like any way you can, right? And so for me, assessments have been a game changer to understand who I am and the unconscious patterns that I might fall into if I'm not staying present and aware of my actions. So I think that for anyone, no matter what your personality type is, that's a takeaway I'd want you to have. It's really mm-hmm. a way to be present, right? To mm-hmm. things that are already happening. I've heard a lot of people over the years say, you know, I don't want to be put in a box. I... 
I hate that that's happened for some people. I had somebody tell me recently about how it was used at their work in a not great way and they felt kind of ostracized because their personality was different. At least in my use of this and ethically, that is not the goal. It's really just to pay attention to like patterns that already exist. And I would say that, um, you know, like anything that's made by people, there's some flaws to the various systems, right? Um, Even the Myers-Briggs, which is my first language in personality and personality assessments, you know, if you just take the assessment without somebody working with you, it's I think 75 or 80% accurate usually results wise. Um, And then you're really, that's why you have trainers like you or myself to work with people because then you can really interpret and make sure that people got the right results. So I would say assessments are an approximation of something that's real and natural. There are distinct patterns in personality. So I think for me in particular, um, I found the Enneagram at MBTI, the Myers-Briggs, StrengthsFinder, or Clifton Strengths, um, to all be a way to awaken to blind spots you might have, and also mm. to have more empathy and understanding for other people and their blind spots. Yes. And that's so important now, right? I mean, <laughs> as we want to go out and, um, you know, there's so much going on. And if you want to lead with empathy and really get a better place of understanding of people that are different than you, it's not all the work. There's more work to follow, but a first step is really understanding how people might be different. And this is one way. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, um, MBTI has been a really amazing communication tool of understanding that people might perceive the world differently and communicate differently. Mm -hmm. And the Enneagram for me, as I'm learning about it, has been a really good reminder that we fall into behavior patterns. And if you're present to them, you can kind of break out of that pattern. And so what presence looks like is going to be for different for different people. And I know, Anna, that we share, we've talked about this before, we're both of Enneagram threes. Mm-hmm. And so as I've tried to figure out what a mindfulness practice looks like for an Enneagram three, which is full of energy and, <laughs> you know, meditating is not going to happen with me just sitting there, but walking meditations, which even if those mm-hmm. are just like, what are the five things we feel what are the five things we hear right now walks with my four-year-old together? Knowing that like maybe swimming laps for me is going to be when I get into that meditative place um, or running. And so for me, that awareness of the tight patterns, like with something like Enneagram has allowed me to also then figure out how it works for somebody like me who's on the go. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um And another thing I'd say on that is I think uh, something else I've heard over the years is people are like, well, you know, can you just excuse bad behavior by having this, you know, knowledge of personality? And I don't I don't think it should ever be an excuse. And I hope that's not how people take it. I think it's just a place where we can pause and recognize how we might react to stress specific to Mm -hmm. our personality. I think for. For me, my primary research and background has been really looking at how the MBTI can be used for communication. And I think it's been a really um, fantastic tool for unlocking that. Yes, yes, I do. I want to add that one thing that I love about all of these assessments is that they help you put into words the things that you know about yourself, but you know them so closely that it's difficult to articulate those things that make you, you. And one of my favorite uses of Myers-Briggs with a client was not only in identifying which uh, productivity and time management strategies would work best for her, but she made the decision after she articulated her vision to apply to grad school. And having her Myers-Briggs and her Clifton Strengths results made writing her essays and filling out applications so much easier because she was able to clearly articulate her strengths and what made her unique. 
I love that, Anna. I actually had a client, it was a leadership development training program for teens and particularly teen artists, um, dancers. And uh, that's actually a workshop. It's a kickoff to a series that they do. And they started off with taking uh, taking the Myers-Briggs. Um, I facilitate a workshop with them and they actually use that language to understand how they show up in the world and kind of give them some skill, um, some skills in describing themselves through things like their college statement. So that's also one of my favorite things. Love working with uh, young people. I think it's a really awesome entryway self-discovery tool. Okay, y'all. So I know we could all probably use a little more time in our day, right? You're no stranger to busy schedules and intentionally filling them up to the brim because you just have so much to get done. But sometimes it feels like you don't really ever have the time to just slow down and enjoy the simple things. Simple things like when my toddlers are giggling and playing nicely together in the backyard, or when a Sunday afternoon nap sounds too good to pass up. We all want more time to enjoy these kinds of things, right? Well, if you love personality quizzes like I do, then you're in for a treat. In my new quiz, which you can take for free at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, I'm helping you uncover what it will take to get you from chaos to calm, to finally feel like you have space in your days. I know it can feel downright frustrating to keep using the same old time management strategies that just don't seem to work for you. You've got the planners, the calendars, the apps, you're doing all the things, but you still feel like you have no time. And that's because you need time management strategies that work for your personality and your life. In my 10 plus years working in crisis communications and chaos management, and all the time I've spent with my clients, I've learned that everyone has their own needs. And knowing what those needs are can really help you discover the best approach to planning your days. Knowing yourself can help you ease up busy schedules, and find more calm and clarity in your week. Do you want to know how to get there? To have more breathing room in your days? Let's figure out your time management personality type so you can uncover exactly what you need to do to feel more productive, less stressed, and more balanced. You can take the quiz at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, and I'll make sure to link to the quiz in our show notes. All right, on with the show. So let's dive into the time management and productivity piece of this. Um, so there's this, there's there's Clifton Strengths, there's Myers Briggs, there's Enneagram, there's all of these different options. There are resources online to take them. You have the opportunity to work with a trainer uh, to take them and get the interpretation of your results. So let's say that you've taken these assessments and that you know that you're an Enneagram 3 or an Enneagram 7, or you know your top five strengths because you've taken it. How can you use those results to shape the way that you spend your time? Uh, that's a great question. I can speak for my myself, right, a little bit in that like as uh, my MBTI type is ENFP and um, I know people are going to have a different level of understanding on it, but um, that E stands for extroversion, right? So that doesn't mean that 
I'm more talkative than other people and somebody else is more quiet or it's not an indicator of shyness. In my case, I am more talkative <laughs> than a lot of people. Um, but in, in this case, it's really a cue for me that I love to spend my time with people. And so that's something that I inherently know about myself, but it gives some language to where I get my energy from. So what I often talk to clients about is your preference for extroversion or introversion is often, a, it's, it's an indicator of where you're going to get energy. And I'm energized by having conversations like this and being out with people. And as somebody who's working from home right now, it's a good reminder for me that I need still need that social interaction. Um, and so it's also an indication of how somebody might want to spend their time. So my husband's introverted. He has a preference for introversion and he prefers to recharge solo, whereas I want to be around people. And I think it's really interesting that this is kind of a shortcut into how people might want to spend their time and also how they might prefer to be communicated to. I love a good quick conversation and sidebar, but he wants to prefer, he prefers to communicate in writing. And similarly, when I'm working with teams, you might have somebody with a strong preference for introversion and a way to, I think, save people time is to be really clear in communication and have multiple ways that people can communicate with each other so that you don't have to work back and somebody's not operating in a place um, out of their preference. So something I've done in the past is knowing that I naturally was the boss who wanted to do the desk drop by and rattle off stuff and chat. A lot of times I was working with really talented introverts and the best way to communicate was to send them over something via email. Or if I did do the desk drop by, give them the chance to email me back their thoughts in writing. And similarly, if there's something like a brainstorm session that you want to do with your team or you just want to talk to your spouse about some ideas you have, I always kind of keep that feedback window open longer so that people can, who have that preference that's opposite of mine for introversion, can respond in writing. Because often as extroverts, we give our best thoughts right on the fly and introverts want that processing time. So Sometimes I hate the fact that I have to verbally process because I end up saying really stupid things on the way <laughs> to arriving at the thing that makes sense. And I like that drives me insane about myself, but that's what works. Um, that's what I'm works. sorry. I had to jump in. Oh, and share no, that I, because it I, I love that you jumped in with that because I have the same thought. It's like my husband goes away, but you know, he has that we were talking about it recently and he said, I hate that what comes out of my mouth at first isn't really, and he's very thoughtful and wants to like think through and process. And so if I force him to say something right there and then it's not going to be his best answer, you know? And similarly, I'm like, oh man, I'm probably annoying right now just having to talk out everything that I'm thinking. But you know, that awareness, um, allowing people that time and building in the time um, I, I do this in practice all the time, like always having agendas, always setting meetings, which is best mm -hmm. practices with the meeting anyway. But really for those introverts, seeing ahead what's going to be on the agenda, they might be able to come prepared to speak up and have equal space in the meeting. And Absolutely. so I think ultimately these communication strategies are also time savers and a way to recognize that people are going to operate differently with the amount of planning they need um, beforehand or just how they want to respond. That's the extroversion, introversion I mentioned. There's, you know, the four letters that we mentioned. Um, my second letter is N, um, which stands for intuition because the I was already taken up on introversion. So I have a <laughs> I love trying to explain that. They're like, why is intuition an N? It's like, well, I was already taken. It's like, I promise we can spell, right? But yeah, uh, <laughs> so it's sensing and intuition. And I always try, this is the hardest one, I think, to explain. I don't know, Anna, if you've had that experience, uh, but with the Myers-Briggs, this is the one It's based on Young's theory. It's that people perceive the world differently. And it's really hard to tell how someone perceives the world because that's an internal process. Um, 
but it's really cool, right? That is scare, a little scary and a little cool that people could see the world completely differently than you, right? And we know that from life experience and things, but actually just the way they're taking in information and processing is different. And so the, one of the quickest ways I've explained this to people is some people want all the details first before they get to the big picture. If they can pull together all of those specifics and details, that will help them arrive at this big picture goal. But other people like myself with a preference for intuition really want to jump right to the big picture and then work their way back into the details. And that can you can see how people could really miss each other from a communication standpoint with having those two completely different approaches. To me, this is the most difficult of the pairs to to how do I say this to work with in meetings because when you have some people in a in a meeting who are very detail oriented and you have others who are very big picture oriented the big picture people get frustrated because they're being pulled into the details and the detail people have a lot of questions because they want to understand the details and I find that this difference causes a lot of friction. Yes, it causes a lot of friction. And I think it's often thought of in a communication way, but I also, since you know we're talking about time, it's a waste of time, right? If you've presented it kind of in the way that's just comfortable for you. So early on when I started facilitating with Myers-Briggs, I was just going in with like, here's the big picture idea and not having kind of the one, two, three steps <laughs> on the slide. And I was losing part of my audience, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think... Um, always doing both if you can. It's a both yeah. and. So how can you, when you're presenting with a deck, starting a conversation, put your, even if you're going to put big picture out there, because it's hard for me not to start there, very quickly toggling into the sequential, into the one, two, three, and the details. And also this is where like really thinking about teams and you're, you know, thinking about like even partnering up with someone who maybe has different preferences than you to gut check. Mm -hmm. Like, am I really giving details or am I giving my intuitive version of details, which is maybe still a level up because people, yeah. you know, people. And so I have a client right now, actually an executive I'm working with who is a strong sensing type. And I realized that we were going to have to have a discussion where I maybe offline wrote up my big picture thing and then started writing the details under it so we could go in the order. She's wicked smart picking up on things quickly, but she wants those details first and those pieces to then build the big plan. And I kind of need to start with the big plan to then work into the details. So mm -hmm. I did some work solo, built out the big idea in my head and then started, and we started a step not at the step I would have started at, but it's actually been really interesting for me to see how it's taken us to cool places that maybe if I had just gone my way, it wouldn't have, it, you know, or like tried to push my way would have wasted our time. So just being really intentional about knowing that people are, you know, wanting to see things in a different order, you know, or might, or might be thinking about it differently. I love that. I always think of that, that sensing versus intuition as sensing um, needs the manual, sensing needs the instructions, but intuition they're the one who writes the instructions. They're the ones who sees what's not there to create the instructions so oh. that the, the sensing can follow the step-by-step. -step. Yes. And I think oftentimes the sensing people are going to be people that say, and you know, you could have done this better and clearer. Yeah. Um, you missed this step. <laughs> yeah. Because this is really like, you know, dealing in the five senses, being super aware of details. Um, my mother-in-law is a strong sensing type and we'll be walking in the neighborhood and she'll say, oh, I saw that that house has a new trim paint color. And I'm thinking, 
What else? What else? There's an, there's an <laughs> you need kind of both, right? And so the things that interest people in the professions they gravitate to are often based on that because you've got people who just love the ideas and the patterns on this intuition side. And then you've got people that actually want to kind of work in this more tangible space on the sensing yeah. side. And so I, I love seeing teams that have a composite of both, but if you yeah. haven't gone through the effort of understanding that people are coming at this from a different place, it can be, like you said, a real friction point. Real friction point. Okay. So tell me about the next two, because we've got two more pairs. Okay. Right? Two more pairs. Yeah. So I think, so Anna, as an ENTJ, um, so far we've had the letters the same, right? ENFP, ENTJ. So we both have this EN, which is like, I want to know all about these big picture ideas. I want to talk about them. I want, you know, to recognize patterns together, but this is where we, you know, uh, have maybe some, a different take on it. So I'm curious to see kind of as I explain. Um, so thinking and feeling, I always, always want to tell people like, look, you can't, this doesn't mean that thinking types are more inherently, um, it doesn't mean I'm smarter than you. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that feeling types um, are more emotional. Uh, there's a whole lot of different factors that we could dive in on, like what makes somebody have more extroverted feeling or thinking. But just for the basic understanding of it, um, it's a comfort with objectivity and subjectivity, right? Mm -hmm. So people who have a preference for thinking have more comfort with the objective and, and making objective decisions. When there's a decision, they want to step out of it rather than step into it. Feeling mm -hmm. types, their first instinct is to step into the person's shoes and to feel what the person's feeling. And they often are more comfortable with values, as I've been talking a lot about, and personal values and making decisions based off of that, as opposed to objectivity and logic. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a different decision-making style, um, but it also creates a different communication style, right? And so a friction point I've seen here is Oftentimes, the communication style of somebody with preference for thinking is much more direct and to the point. Yep. And can be seen as maybe like their email comes over short, you know, and it causes that person with that preference for feeling to say, oh, well, that wasn't very warm. That wasn't very bubbly. And so it's a really kind of interesting thing, though, because as a feeling type, sometimes the thinking types are sitting there saying, well, could she just get to the point? You get know, the there's point. a lot of yeah. niceties and can, and can we just kind of get to it? And so it's one that people are sometimes more aware of in other people yeah. because it's how they're actually making decisions. Whereas the one we just talked about sensing intuition is more of an internal process. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the question that I think really easily sorts, and of course this is not across the board, but the, the question that really easily sorts the thinking types from the feeling types is, you are a manager of a department. You have two team members. One is a single mom. The other is not. The one who is not a single mom is actually better at the job, is performing better. But the other one is a single mom. You have to lay someone off. Who do you lay off? Do you lay off the single mom? Or do you lay off the person who is actually better performing at the job? And isn't that, isn't that just so difficult? I mean, like that's, that's the question. And I, when you have a preference for feeling, you are thinking about the individual. And when you have mm -hmm. a preference for thinking, you are thinking about fairness. It's, it, it's a tough one. And normally you have an instant thought one way or the other that really kind of tips you off as to which your preference is. Um, so thinking and feeling, I feel like that one's pretty straightforward. Yeah. People with a thinking preference are more logical and objective. And people with a feeling preference are more 
Because I don't want to say emotional, More but they're with subjectivity and the personal and like thinking mm-hmm. about a specific person. I've noticed over the years that people with their preference for thinking are really wanting to see like the bit zoom out to the big picture. So big numbers of data, whereas something that's going to be more compelling often for a feeling type is going to be more specific to an individual. So the storytelling, the exception over the rule, storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So my master's thesis was actually looking at how people receive messages for philanthropic appeals. And one of the main differences I saw was that the uh, messages that I designed, um, I matched messages to temperament. So basically I designed messages that would match or either match or not match to somebody's personality type. And (laughs) it's a whole other like discussion. I feel like, uh, but over overwhelmingly the people um, who were, intuitive thinking types had the most skepticism and reactance to just like, I need more information than you possibly could give me in this one ad. And so it's that zoom out and that understanding of, hey, I need any more data. Like, don't give me just this one-off thing. And mm-hmm. so feeling types, um, the types that were most likely to indicate giving were all on the feeling side wow. um, because- they were just like, oh, so a person needs something. So they don't need to have the zoom out and all the data. They can make the decision more likely through the storytelling and through the person, um, a specific example to a person. So I love, wow, that is fascinating. Let's talk about the J and the P because I feel like that can be the most confusing one or the most difficult to understand, but it's the one that I rely on the heaviest when it comes to time management coaching. Yes, I can totally see that. I mean, it's one of those things that there's sometimes a stigma for people, right? They hear judging and they say, I'm not judgmental. Like, you know, that's, it's not, it, it, that's not what that's it, right? what it means. <laughs> yeah. And perceiving, um, I think often becomes synonymous with people for procrastinating, but spoiler alert, yeah. all types of people procrastinate, right? Yeah. And everybody can be judgmental and everybody can be good with the flow. That's not the, you know, or, or, or less so. What it really is, is a reflection of how people operate with time. People mm-hmm. with a preference for judging, organize time. And people with preference for perceiving tend to go in the flow with time. So what mm-hmm. can often happen um, is that people who have this preference for judging really want to get it done and check that off the to-do list. Whereas Mm -hmm. people with a preference for perceiving have this natural tendency to wait and gather. There's psychological constructs when I was doing my master's thesis research that I looked at called need for closure and joy of processing. And people Mm. with a high need for closure, it correlates with having a preference for judging in the Myers-Briggs. And what it looks like is they want to shut down any dissonance as fast as possible to close whatever the activity or whatever has been put before them is. And people with that preference for perceiving have that wait and gather joy of processing. They're actually enjoying the act of doing the thing. So you could see how this would show up in careers where if you have somebody who's like an artist or a designer and this really creative field, that joy of processing and just iterating is going to show up. Uh, whereas you can see how somebody who is grab- gravitates to a job where they're going to be able to kind of go through that checklist every day mm-hmm. um, is going to maybe have that preference for judging. Yeah. So, yeah. It's about getting it done. Let's get yeah. it done. Yeah. And Knock both it out. Types, let's get it done. Yeah, yeah. And both types have to-do lists, right? I've often said it's pretty funny to look at the to-do list of um, 
somebody with a preference for judging versus perceiving, the judging types often will have a little like checkbox or something actually written next to their to-do <laughs> list and like to check the box literally. And it's very specific tasks. Like they're usually broken down pretty small. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, my to-do list is right here. I'm a perceiving type. I'm a huge to-do list person, but it will be like huge bucketed things, like figure out like packaging strategy for business next to like give the dog medicine. And so <laughs> that's a way that I've seen um, a difference in even the to-do list of the two types where, mm-hmm. um, you know, people with preference for perceiving can often have big bucket items alongside mm-hmm. really small tasks. Whereas Jays are yeah. really good at breaking down, people with preference for judging are really good at breaking down things into smaller um, manageable chunks. Mm-hmm. It's just a natural tendency they have to break those down into smaller chunks. But just like we were talking earlier about how your personality preferences are not an excuse or a pass or a crutch, um, anyone is capable of learning how to break things down into smaller pieces because what we want to steer away from And this is something that I talk with my time management coaching clients about and that we talk about inside the academy is that, yes, just you, you may have a preference for perceiving, but you still have the ability to learn and flex and find the strategy that works best for you and saying, oh, I'm a P or I don't like closure. That's not an excuse. You still have the ability to cultivate those skills. It just may take a little bit more time and effort to find the method that works best for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that all of these pairs, you know, the judging and perceiving, it's all like being right and left-handed. If I were going through the world completely just using my... um right hand, my perceiving function, you know, I would never be breaking things into tasks and doing those things. It's just that one is a more natural preference, right? Mm -hmm. And so with that combination of understanding kind of my operating system and my hardware, for me as an Enneagram 3, I love, I do love to do this and I do love checking things off. And so harnessing some of that motivation, but knowing it's going to maybe show up in a little bit more of a perceiving style. So like I told that story before about bucketing my time and I was going to do it by hours, That didn't work for me. It worked Mm -hmm. for me as a metric to look at and to get a general sense of. And that's probably some of my feeling preference too. It was a check-in with my feelings on how did this week feel um, as opposed to completely taskifying every piece, you know, every minute of the day. Now, there is a time for that, especially like on working with projects. I've done a lot of project management in my career and managing of teams and having to really recognize that other people are going to have different preferences and need you to break it down and need you to step up Mm -hmm. differently. Um, I think there was some perceiving shame that I had when I was younger of like, oh, you know, but I've also learned to harness some of the great parts of being a perceiving type, which is I'm super adaptable and resourceful and can really be on my feet in a moment. And there's, and that's not to say that people with preference for judging can't also flex and kind of learn that as well, you know? So I think it's an opportunity to think about when you're building teams, working with others, bringing both to the table, not getting super frustrated. I mean, I, I had to, I've had to learn to work really far and ahead because I do have that burst of energy. I call it the messy middle, right? I Mm. have a really high activation energy. Um, and I have a really big kind of like last minute drive to finish it. But if I can leverage that activation energy to get 75, 80% of the way there, I'm not, I'm not saving that much to the last minute, even though I know I'm going to have a creative burst at the end. So for me, a lot of my organization and prep and time planning, what I've recommended to other people with a preference for perceiving is thinking about how you make sure that there's little deadlines and things built into that middle 
period of work. And then also giving yourself that time to really um, activate in the beginning and then, um, you know, know that you're going to need that last creative burst. So some strategies so that you're not making other people wait on you, you know, but like building that in. I love it. That is so, so good and so actionable. Okay, so we have done a super fun deep dive into the Myers-Briggs. We've talked through each of the four uh, pairs and you've given us tips along the way. So if you if you know your Myers-Briggs, then you're, you're able to really walk away with, you know, some tips, some, some things that you can do to use this uh, to, to determine, you know, how you're spending your time. But if you're not sure what your type is, your wheels are probably turning and you're probably listening and you're thinking, oh, that sounds like me, but I'm not really sure. Um, so here's where, here's where let's, let's sum it all up and let's talk about what next steps can be from here. So before we dive into how we can stay in touch with you, how can someone listening continue to learn more about their personality? Because I'll say we could do 18 more episodes about the Myers-Briggs and Clifton Strengths and Enneagram, and maybe we'll just have to do that. But for now, how can someone continue to gather this awareness about their personality so that they can use it to make decisions and not live in default mode? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, I mean, a tip, a takeaway for everyone is whatever will bring you more presence, you know, um, and not being in default mode. That's something anybody can do right now, right? Like think about and pay attention to where their time is going, how they're showing up and what they've learned from today or maybe knew before um, and think about it from that perspective. And then I think um, as far as just like actually accessing these resources, I have them on my website, littlerouge10.com. You're able to check them out. I'm not certified in Clifton Strengths, but I think it's a really important resource. So I have some links to just different tools um, and personality assessments. I think that um, whenever you're taking something like the Myers-Briggs, the best way to go about it is to take it with like someone like Anna or myself, or if you're offering it through your company, um, because then you're actually able to do type verification and know if you've got the, the accurate results. Because there's a lot of cultural factors that skew, right? Um, like a lot of women will show up as feeling types, even if they're thinking types, because of cultural norms, right? In the yeah. US in particular. Um, and there's similarly similar pressures to show up as an extrovert, even if you're an introvert. So just mm -hmm. things like that, that a trained facilitator could walk you through. So I think a next step, um, I have some resources on my site um, and some co and contact information where if you wanted to take it... Um, you know, and have it actually facilitated. And also, um, if I'm not able to, I also have some other resources and other ways that you can take it. So, yeah. um, I would recommend if you're interested in the Enneagram, a lot of the stuff out there on Instagram and everything's really fun. And by all means, like anything that's going to make you pause and think about your patterns. Um, and also with MBTI, I think always working with facilitator and same with strengths, um, working with somebody who can kind of walk you through is uh, really valuable. So awesome. Awesome. Okay. I will be sure to link that book and resources and all of that good stuff in the show notes, but tell us how can we stay in touch with you, Julie, and continue to learn from you and work with you if we're, we're trying to cultivate and build our team. You can always visit my website, which is littlerouchehen.com. I also have a company page on LinkedIn, um, same name, littlerouchehen. And then my email is julie at littlerouchehen.com. And yeah, I'm here to solve people's problems. That's kind of a value proposition. And so um, anyway, either whether it's, you know, kind of better understanding yourself to be a better leader or team member or, you know, working with a team uh, to kind of develop people. 
Um, or even just if you have a kind of meaty strategic planning problem, but you want to kind of ground everybody in something like MBTI at the onset, that's another thing that I do. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just energized to work with people, help them solve these kind of naughty problems and look at it through this lens of personality. Well, I have absolutely loved our conversation today. We could have continued talking for probably two more hours, <laughs> but I would just want to thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your expertise, for sharing about your family's values and how you do what you do and how you look at things through this lens of personality. I think that people are going to find it to be just really fun, really eye-opening, and that it's going to spur a lot of really good self-thought that hopefully leads to more self-awareness. So, Julie... Thank you again so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been just so fun to talk about all this. So, Of course, and I will talk to you soon. All right, great. And there you have it. I'm very fortunate to not only have Julie as an amazing podcast guest, but we grew our friendship over French truck coffee when I was still living in the Baton Rouge area. She and I clearly love diving into all things personality, and I hope you enjoyed listening in on our conversation. If all this personality talk has your wheels turning and you want to learn more, be sure to reach out to Julie using the links in the show notes. You can find the productivity and personality tools that Julie mentioned, as well as links to stay in touch with her over at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 133. And before you go, let me tell you about next week's episode. Next week's episode, episode 134, if you're listening in real time, the summer of 22 is winding down, and we're just a few short weeks away from the hustle and bustle of back to school. For many of us, even if you don't have school-age kids or any kids at all, the fall just feels busier. Most people have wrapped up summer vacations and are all ready to get heads down focused on closing out the year. That's why in episode 134, I'll be talking about how to leverage slow seasons to lay the groundwork for busier seasons. What can you do now to make later easier on you? I can't wait for this one, so make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss it. All right, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks for listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Head over to www.abouttimepodcast.com to join the conversation. Check out the show notes and dive into bonus content so you can start living your best life today. Love this episode? Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.